Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our evening service, Sunday 25th of August, 2019. This evening we are joined by Pastor Clifford Morrison, who takes his reading from Matthew, chapter 27, verses 24 to 32, and brings us a message entitled, Wounded for Me. We turn to the New Testament and to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, Commencing to read at verse 24. Matthew 27, commencing at verse 24. This is the word of the Lord. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him, and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And leaning before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him, and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. Father, help us to think and to ponder deeply upon your word that we've just read this evening. Teach us what we do not know and give us what we do not have. And may we receive your word and respond to your word in a way that shall be for your glory. And if that is true, it will be for our good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As Christians, we believe that there is no book like God's book. Oh, wonderful, wonderful word of the Lord, wrote the hymn writer. True wisdom, its pages unfold. And though we may read them a thousand times over, they never, no never, grow old. And yet is it not true to say we can become familiar with this sacred volume of God's revealed word? Phrases that depict the sufferings of Christ can run off our lips so frequently that we never pause to reflect upon the depth of their meaning and the implication of their message. Words like despised, words like rejected, Words like a man of sorrows. Words like pierced, wounded for our transgressions. Words like crushed for our iniquities. Statements like the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Words like having scourged Jesus, 
they delivered him to be crucified. That word scourged defines a short whip with several leather strips that were loaded with pieces of metal or glass or small metal bombs. The victim was tied in a bent position, exposing his back to the maximum effect while the lashes rained on him. The punishment was so vicious at times that it tore chunks out of the victim's body. Sometimes the victim's back muscles would be so badly shredded that the underlying bones were exposed. The scourge could even whip around to the front of the victim's hand and tear at his eyes. And some victims were literally scourged to death. Our Lord Jesus Christ was scourged. In our Lord Jesus, we see the loss of blood made worse by the crown of thorns. That crown that we read about this evening in Matthew's Gospel. Twisting together a crown of thorns, Matthew tells us. They put it on his hand. But that word put is a misleading word. They didn't put it on his head with any gentle motion. They jammed it on his head. They put it so fiercely and insensibly upon his head that it produced blood from his head and stripped naked and his wrists and hands nailed to a cross beam. He was secured to an upright pole in the ground. Feet nailed to the pole, left there to die. As a result of a combination of shock, blood loss, and dehydration. We sing, don't we, sometimes, wounded for me, Wounded for me, scourged for me, beaten for me, spat on for me. There on the cross, he was wounded for me. God, my transgressions, and now I am free. All because Jesus was wounded for me. Chuck Swindle writes these words, everything within us urges us to run past the torturous sight of the death and burial of the Lord Jesus and move quickly to the tomb where the triumph of Calvary is announced and we focus on the living Lord and the life everlasting that he has provided for all who trust in him. Chuck Swindoll goes on and he says, but the Lord would take us on a different route. He has established a memorial. We call it the Lord's Supper. We call it the breaking of bread. We call it communion. And through it we are forced to return again and again to the place called Calvary. We gather this evening to remember the Lord Jesus in the breaking of bread. To think about the cross, to think about the Christ of the cross.
Someone might ask the question, what has Christianity to do with the cross? The answer is simple, everything. Everything. Christianity and only Christianity is a religion of atonement. Every other religious system, when you uh, go into its real meaning, depends on what man has done or what man can do. The key word of man-made religion is the word self, but not so Christianity. For Christianity depends on God and on God alone. It's all about God's grace. It's all about God's mercy. It's all about God's love. And we discover that love and mercy and grace yonder at Calvary. The old hymn summarizes it like this. Mercy there was great, and grace was free. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. And we affirm tonight upon the authority of God's revealed word that there is no hope, there is no gospel, there is no grace apart from the cross. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sign. Why do we revel in the cross tonight? Why do we stand where Paul stood in Galatians and say, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, at the cross we find assurance. We identify ourselves with the words received by the dying thief when Jesus said to them, Today you will be with me in paradise. We confess tonight that we can never go to heaven apart from being justified by faith. And we're justified by faith on the basis of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us through his death of the cross. In this assurance, I find sweetest rest. Trusting in Jesus, I know I am blessed. Not only do we find assurance of the cross, but we find love of the cross. Luke tells us that it was about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. No one has ever loved us or will ever love us as much as God loves us. Think of what he endured. Think of what he endured in order that you might receive all that you and I have received in Christ. And when he was in silence on the cross, it wasn't a silence of despair or disdain or indifference. It was a silence that indicated that he was satisfying the righteous demands, the righteous requirements of his holy Father in heaven. We have assurance at the cross. We have love at the cross. And we have hope on the cross. Because the cross of Christ is central to our faith. If we remove the cross, we have moved the very life of God. Luke tells us when they came to the place that is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And we can identify ourselves with that thief and those sentiments of the hymn writer when he wrote, The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day, and there my eye, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. 
We find forgiveness at the cross. Without the cross, there's no remedy for sin. Without the cross, there's no forgiveness for sin. Without the cross, there's no assurance, there's no confidence for a hope in heaven. We find freedom at the cross. We can appreciate in some measure how Barabbas felt that day when someone came and said, Barabbas, you're free. He must have thought he was hearing things. He must have thought they were mocking him. They were teasing him. He might have responded, you must be joking. What do you mean I'm free? You're free. There's someone else taking your place, someone called Jesus of Nazareth. But I don't know whether Barabbas followed Jesus to the cross. I don't know whether he was standing near the, to the cross. I don't know whether he was at the cross. But if I'm allowed to use sanctified imagination, and he was there, I'm sure when he looked at Jesus at the cross and the quietness of his own heart, he simply said, that should have been me. And so it is with you and me tonight. If God were dealing with us in the way we deserve to be dealt with, we should have been punished for all our sins. The scripture says, if the Lord were to mark iniquity, who is there among us who could stand? You see, without Jesus dying on the cross, men and women can never be set free because it's only the Son that sets the prisoner free. Satan promises freedom, but he just enslaves. He just enchains his prisoners more and more. It's only through Jesus dying on the cross that we are set free from the grip and power of evil. And through the cross we find a new beginning. We find new life and we find a glorious future. That's why Paul says, But be it far from me to boast or to glory, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world is crucified to me and I to the world. The church of Jesus Christ owes a tremendous debt to godly Christian ladies who wrote many Christian hymns that we sing. Some we don't sing and some we ought to sing. And here is the words of a verse of a hymn written by a lady called Lucy Ann Bennett. And it's a prayer. And I close with this prayer tonight as we come to the Lord's table. Oh, teach me what it meaneth. That cross uplifted high, with one the man of sorrows condemned to bleed and die. Oh, teach me what it costs thee to make a sinner whole. And teach me, Savior, teach me the value of a soul. That's how much God values you and me tonight. He spared not his own son, but gave him up to the death of the cross that you and I may become children of God. He who knew no sin, says Paul, became sin for us that we might become the sons of God. That's grace. That's love. That's mercy.
God withholding from us what we do deserve, wrath and judgment, and giving to us what we don't deserve, love and mercy and grace. And so as we come to the Lord's table now to drink of the cup, to eat of the bread, we're going to sing of his grace. We're going to stand and sing two verses of this lovely song.